Earlier this week was the 65th anniversary of Rosa Parks' arrest in Birmingham, Alabama. Her arrest would kick off a bus boycott that would last for over a year and be a significant moment in the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks is a name that we all know. This is a moment in history we are familiar with, one we all learned about in school, one that is, has inspired poems, documentaries, books, and TV shows, a moment we recognize as a turning point in the history of our country. She was one of many brave and remarkable people who through big and small acts have worked and continue to work to bring equality to our nation. There are ones we can easily name, like Malcolm, Martin, and Ruby, and ones that don't quickly come to mind, like Polly, Irene, Sarah, Claudette, Aurelia, and Mary Louise. As I spent time this week remembering Rosa and reading about the bus boycotts, I was reminded that she was not the first black woman who refused to give up her seat on a bus for a white passenger. In 1940, 15 years before Rosa, Pauli Murray and Adeline McBean were on a bus heading for Durham. They were seated over the back wheels of the bus and felt every bump, so they moved toward the middle of the bus. The bus driver asked them to return to the back. They refused and were arrested. In 1944, 11 years before Rosa, Irene Morgan refused to give her seat to a white passenger on a crowded bus in Virginia. She was arrested. The Supreme Court of the United States ruled in Irene's favor, stating that Virginia's law that enforced segregation on interstate buses was unconstitutional. In 1952, over three years before Rosa, right here in North Carolina, Sarah Keyes, a private in the Army, refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white passenger and was arrested. Although it took several years, because of Sarah, the Interstate Commerce Commission affirmed that the Interstate Commerce Act forbids segregation. In 1955, nine months before Rosa, Claudette Colvin refused to give up her seat on a Birmingham bus, the same bus line that Rosa used. This 15-year-old high school student had been learning about black leaders like Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and talking with her classmates about injustices they had seen and experienced. And on March 2, 1955, while riding the bus home from school, Claudette was asked to give up her seat to a white passenger. She refused and was arrested. 
1955, eight months before Rosa, Aurelia Browder refused to give up her seat on the bus in Montgomery. Her arrest led to a lawsuit that included several other cases of racial discrimination on public transportation, including Caldette Colvin. The case was withdrawn before it ever went to trial due to pressure from the white community. Also in 1955, just a month before Rosa, Mary Louise Smith was arrested for not relinquishing her seat on the bus to a white passenger. Polly, then Irene, then Sarah, then Claudette, then Aurelia, then Mary Louise, then Rosa. I wonder how many of these stories Rosa knew on December 1st, 1955. I wonder if the courage of these women helped Rosa be courageous. These women and these stories remind me that none of us live, work, or exist in isolation. Our lives are intertwined with each other's. What we do matters. It matters to those who came before us. It matters to those who will come after us. It matters to those who live down the street. It matters to those we will never meet. We are all each a part of a great big story. And this is the truth that's found in scripture. The stories in this sacred text intertwine and connect, all telling a great big story of God and God's people. We open it and find a creator who wants to live in relationship with creation. In its pages, we find large families like Abraham's, unexpected heroes like Rahab, brave leaders like David and Esther, ordinary fishermen like Peter, good friends like Mary, and unexpected messengers like Paul. Each of these men and women have stories that stand on their own, but when we weave them together and read them together, we discover the history of our faith is deeper, richer, and more beautiful when they are shared together, told in context of God and all of God's people. And at the heart of this sacred text is Jesus, the one, the one of whom the prophets spoke, the one for whom the people longed, the one for whom we wait. As I read our text this morning, the opening of the Gospel of Mark, it made me wonder how each of the other Gospels introduced us to Jesus. 
So I went back to Matthew, Luke, and John as well, and I read their first chapters. And I noticed that while each of the Gospels introduced Jesus in a unique way, they all connect Jesus to what and who had come before, to the men and women who prepared the way for Jesus to come into the world. Matthew begins with a genealogy and names all those who came before Jesus, both the familiar ones, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, Ruth, David, Joseph, and Mary, and ones not as familiar, Zerah, Ahaz, and Zerubbabel. Luke begins with Zechariah and Elizabeth, finding out they will have a son, and they are to name him John. And then Mary, finding out she will have a baby, a son, that they are to call Jesus. John begins with creation and then leads us to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. And Mark. Mark begins with John the baptizer, but first takes us back to the prophets. Mark quotes the passage from Isaiah that Mac read just a few moments ago. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. And those familiar with the prophet's writings may also recognize the prophet Malachi in Mark's introduction. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. The prophets brought many messages from God to the people, words of warning, words of comfort, words of judgment, words of hope, words about the coming Messiah. I resonate with the words of the prophets or the words of the prophets resonate with me during the season of Advent. I feel their longing, and I like to hope and dream and imagine along with these ancestors of our faith and join them in waiting for the coming Messiah. Their words are our words. Their message, our message. And so Mark includes them as he prepares us to encounter Jesus. Christopher Hudson said that to understand Jesus, Mark looks back to the scriptures of Israel. We cannot understand Christian faith adequately without understanding the Jewish roots of that faith. Whatever we think God is doing in our world today and whatever we think God did in Jesus Christ, should be consistent with what God was doing all along in Israel. 
The prophets helped prepare us for what was to come. So their voices have an important place in the gospel. And in Mark, the prophets point us to this man at the River Jordan, a man dressed in camel's hair who ate locust and wild honey. A man with a message so powerful that people from all over came to hear him and asked to be baptized by him. And yet he said, I am not the one. I am not the one you are looking for. There is another one coming, one who is even greater. On Sunday morning in children's Bible study, we use wondering questions and statements that help us enter the text to imagine ourselves in it, to think about what the people thought, how they felt. And as I think about John, I can't help but wonder how he felt about this message. Was he excited and hopeful and eager to share it? I wonder if there was any part of him that was resentful or jealous. Sure, he had an important job, but his job was to be a forerunner, the one who comes before the one. His work was to get things ready and to get out of the way. I've wrestled with this a bit as I've thought about it this week. On one hand, it's a struggle. It is human nature to want to matter, to have significance and meaning in your work and life. And to be a forerunner feels, well, it feels like you do a lot of work and don't get much credit. As Lily and Daniel asked, who wants to follow the one who's preparing the way for someone else? And yet, I keep coming back to this interconnectedness of our lives. If this interconnectedness is the lens with which we look through, both at this passage and our own lives, we are reminded that each of our stories are a part of a greater story. Rather than assigning a cast of characters into major or minor parts and pushing and shoving to prove our worth, measuring our success and value, what if instead we saw ourselves and each other, each as an essential part of the story, each as a beloved child of God whose absence would make the story incomplete? It is so hard to measure the impact of what we do, but big and small acts can make a tremendous difference. As I think back over my life, I have had encounters with Jesus over and over again 
because of those who helped prepare the way for me. My parents, who first told me the stories of Jesus and brought me to church. Sunday school teachers, choir directors, youth leaders, pastors, who told me these stories again and again. A campus minister and pastor who invited me to consider ministry. Professors, colleagues, church members, and friends who have journeyed with me and cheered me on and showed me the way. How about you? Who are the people in your life who have helped prepare the way for you to encounter Christ? Courtney Buggs said, may we hear and see the value of those who pave the way, the way to Jesus. May we reflect upon the contributions of those who made ways for us. How might we better see them, support them, and appreciate them? I think one of the best ways is to share our I think one of the best ways to share our gratitude is to continue in the work and prepare the way for others to encounter Christ. You see, the story of God's relationship with humanity is a story that is still being written. It is a story that you are a part of. It is a story that I am a part of. It is a story that we as a church have been a part of this morning as we joined Brett and Sarah Badorf in dedicating themselves to raise their son Henry in the ways of Jesus. We are forerunners, the ones who will help prepare Henry to encounter Jesus here at our church, in our home, in his home, at his school, and everywhere he goes. What an absolute joy and privilege it is to be one of many who will help prepare the way for Henry and all the young children in our church who are learning who Jesus is through the stories we share and the lives that we live. Won't you join me, join us, in bearing the good news of the one who has come and will return. This Advent, as we wait with wonder, longing, and hope, let's prepare the way for Jesus to come to our world today. May it be so.